0: Rational faith.
1: Faith. Faith. Rational.
0: Rational faith.
1: Rational faith. Podcast.
0: Faith. Podcast. Rational Faith. Podcast.
1: Rational Faiths Podcast. Podcast. The Rational, Rational
0: Faith Podcast. He was a racist from the core. Head to toe and hip to hip. There's no danger doubt about it. And the Two major newspapers in Arizona wrote articles making fun of the farm workers, and we started the work. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for, not in the way you reach them. I must confess that uh, that dream that I had that day has, in many points, turned into a nightmare.
1: Hey, podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of Racism 101 hosted by the Rational Faiths blog. I am your host today, Miguel barker Valdez and for the first time, we have Dr. Benjamin Knoll, Associate Professor at Center College in Kentucky, and Dr. Knoll is a political scientist, and I have brought him on to talk to us, looking at the uh, the most recent election, and Breaking it down, uh, looking at it through the lens of race and who votes where and who did or, and didn't vote, and so glad to have you on, Dr. Knoll. Tell us about yourself.
2: Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Um, and just so we're clear, it's it's Ben for the podcast here. Okay. So we're okay. good to go. <laughs> No, it's all right. Um, Well, as you know, I have been a contributor to your illustrious blog for a couple of years now. um, And I've done a couple of other podcasts with uh, Brian Dillman. um, But this is the first time on this particular series that you have going. So it is an honor to be here.
1: Wow, that makes me feel tingly. So thank you. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) All right. so, So this is something... I sprung on you today this afternoon actually <laughs> if I'm <laughs> if I'm being totally honest and you said yeah let's let's do it so uh I'm excited because I've always enjoyed uh what you write uh, it's it's from a different angle than any other uh Mormon blogger that I've ever seen so it's it's always interesting and also the work that you're doing with Jana Reese on the is, what's the project called? I just completely—it's called
2: blank. the. So, there's two parts. One is the Next Mormon survey, from which Jana has written a book called The Next Mormons that'll be forthcoming, uh, published next next spring, um, from Oxford University Press. Um, but then, meanwhile, she and I both have been analyzing different parts of the survey and releasing parts in blog posts or interviews or things like that, and. Um, we're going to be continuing to, to do that even after this book. We've got a couple of other ideas after that for analyzing the, the data that we have.
1: I'm glad you're on because, um, you know, I've always found interesting the, st- the statistic that you're able to pick out of things. Uh, there's, I remember in particular, I had brought up a, the idea that children raised by a single parent, and particularly a single mother, are more likely, you know, have a lot of uh, problems in the future as far as you know, being in jail, being in poverty, things like that. And what I what I really liked what you did is you took the numbers, you crunched them. I don't understand all the statistics things of how you do it. I did take two classes. First one I got a C on. I don't know how I got such a good grade. <laughs> that's pretty good it was hard crap dude (laughs) and then my second one was medical statistics and somehow i pull off an a on that one i i seriously don't know how that happened but um but yeah i and the big thing and this is something i actually tell people a lot when they bring things up is that uh when you look at it the largest uh if you if you account for poverty and take out poverty out of that equation that generally the children of single mothers are about the same as children that come from uh, a two parent home. And that was, that was really interesting for me because it shows how important, um, what important role poverty plays and, and so much, you know, so much. All right. Well. Go That's ahead.
2: a benefit of a lot of these kinds of analyses, right? Because there's so many things that happen at the same time. And what social scientists like me try to do is say, okay, if we want to figure out what things are correlated with other things or what things cause other things to happen in society, um, what uh, one of the main tools these days used is by gathering um Quantitative statistical data that measure those various things, and then using those tools, we can tease out, just like you said, right? Well, like, well, after you account and control statistically for poverty, is there anything left? to explain by, say, a parental situation in the particular outcomes that you're interested in. And um, from, from my perspective, I'm a political scientist by training, we do a lot of those same things in terms of voting behavior and election outcomes, um, saying, okay, we know that certain demographic groups are more likely than others to vote in certain ways, but which of those group identities is more explanatory when you account for other things, right? So for example, there's a racial and ethnic identification um, that we're going to be talking about, but that's also very highly correlated with some other things, such as age, such as socioeconomic status, like education and income, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're able to, to take a look at all those and, and pick them apart and be able to, to try to come up with some explanations about why things happen um, and understand better American society and things like that.
1: Yeah, thanks for bringing all that up. Uh, wh- one of the reasons that got me thinking about, I actually started thinking about this last night. I, you know, people that have been listening to this podcast for a while know that I, I, I teach English to uh, immigrants and the majority of them are, are Spanish speaking Im- uh, immigrants. We don't really have much of a, any other type of uh, immigrant population here in Southern Oregon. And uh, so one of, the, one of the things that I like to do is try to have discussions with them. Uh, that are beyond, you know, hello, how are you, things like that. And so uh, the election came up and I had, ass- this is you know, bad on me. I had assumed that the people, you know, all my students were um, either there with a temporary work visa, also known as a green card, and- or they-, they were undocumented immigrants. But to my pleasant surprise, uh, two of the women were, were citizens. And okay. they were, uh, you know, they, everyone spoke a little English. Uh, but one in particular, you know, she was telling everybody how hard it is to become a citizen, that the, that the test is in English, and they're like, ah, you know, totally aghast and stuff. And, but she expressed, it was really, and I've never seen this with a white American. She was so, so proud that she voted mm-hmm. and so, so proud that her two oldest, Sons voted. Her two oldest children, and the same with the the other uh, lady in, in my class. So proud, like glowing, that her sons had voted. And the second woman said, "I think Hispanics are voting more, but from what I understand, that's not really the case." <laughs> so as was wondering, okay. yeah. So that, uh, we can launch off from there, or launch off from somewhere else if you prefer.
2: Okay, sure. Well, let's let um, start with this way, just taking a broad view of what we know about in terms of voter behavior among different racial and ethnic um, uh, minority groups in the United States, and then from there go into specifically what we know about what happened this week with the midterm elections and how that compares to other elections. How's that sound? I like that a lot. Okay, very good. Okay, so first, just broad general trends. Um Based on a variety of surveys and data collected by political scientists starting in the 19—all the way back to the 1940s, but really 1950s and 1960s, all the way to the present, um, there have been some patterns that have repeated themselves over and over and over again um, in American history. Now, some of them— change over the years some of them stay fairly consistent um but just broadly speaking um the type of person who shows up to vote in elections in america tend and now i'm going to be using lots of patterns right these are these are general trends so of course there's going to be lots of exceptions um but generally speaking these are the way that the trends point that makes sense yep okay that makes sense so so first age age Older people vote, younger people tend not to. And that's been a consistent thing, election after election, decade after decade. Um, Some years it shifts around just a little bit, but a little bit, but you can almost draw a straight line and know the likelihood of someone voting just based on how old they are. So that's number one. Um, Number two, uh, education levels. People who have higher levels of education tend to vote more than people with less education. Um, Not surprisingly, that's also the same with income. People who make more money and are higher socioeconomic status tend to vote more than people with less money. Another one, too, is racial-ethnic identification. People who self-identify as white consistently vote at higher rates than those who self-identify with other racial or ethnic um, categories. So right off the bat, those are the general trends that we've seen over the last couple of decades. So looking now um, to... The election that happened this week, unfortunately, we won't be able to know for a couple of more weeks about what the turnout was among each of those groups, just simply because it's it's a it's a big job to count up. To, I mean we have some early estimates of what voter uh turnout rates were this last election. Um early estimates are saying upwards of forty-seven percent-ish, which, you know, we can look at either optimistically or pessimistically. Optimistically, 47% for a U.S. midterm election is historically high. Um, we don't usually get nearly half of all voters to show up and vote on election day for midterm elections. It's usually closer to 35 to 40%, pushing 41 42 sometimes. But this time we got 47 so we could look at that and say, hey, good on us. On the other hand, um, to look at it and say that we still couldn't get half, one out of two, registered voters to show up on election day, people would look at that and we could say, "Mm, you know, that's still perhaps nothing to be proud of so far. So just depending on how you look at it, that's, that's what happened. Um, compared to, um, Presidential election years, uh, people tend to turn out to vote at higher rates in presidential years. We tend to have uh, roughly 58 to 62-ish, just depending on the election year, of people show up to vote. So around 60% tend to show up those years, around 40% on midterm elections. Um, The difference between racial and ethnic groups are also fairly consistent along those lines. So for example, this is um, uh, an analysis from the Brookings Institution, and they went back from the last 20 years of turnout, so not including this week, 2018, but 2016, all the way back to 2002. And um, if you look just at people who self-identify as white, about half of them turn out in midterms, and about two-thirds, about 66% in presidential years. For those who self-identify as black, a little bit less, about 42% show up in midterms, about 63% in presidential election years. Among Latinos, that's uh, 30% for midterms and 48% for presidential years. And among Asians, very similar, thirty percent and forty eight percent. So that fifteen ish twenty percent gap between midterms and presidential years is consistent for each group, and each um, group is different at a consistent rate if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that makes that makes sense. yeah. I mean the the voting, how many the percentage of that vote varies, but the difference between the midterm vote and a president a presidential election vote, the difference between those two is the same across ethnic groups, socioeconomic status, and things like yeah, that. Okay, yeah, more gotcha, or less. Yeah. Gotcha.
2: Yep. So I'm very curious, In a couple more weeks, we'll have a better idea of what turnout, what the turnout rate was for this election um, amongst each of those groups. Uh, just to my knowledge, we haven't been able to compile that yet, simply because. Um, While we know the outcome of lots of elections, there's still a lot of absentee ballots in many states that are yet to be counted. Um, Early voting is a big thing in in some states, and it takes them a while to compile and certify the results. So probably in a a month or so, we should have a better idea on that. But there is some reason to think that amongst each of those groups, we did have higher turnout this time around. so so that's that's something that'll be interesting to see um, if those differences stay the same or if they change uh, this time so that's that's how many people show up to vote. Um, we could talk a little bit about what are some of the reasons why there are those differences amongst different um racial and ethnic identification groups uh, before we go on to partisan um. Patterns amongst each of the groups there.
1: Yeah, I, I'd really like that's. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that part I want to understand better.
2: Sure. And, and part of this gets to that idea of correlation with other factors, um, like we were talking about earlier. So, for example, um, it's just a, a fact in the United States today that um, minority groups tend to have uh, more kids than whites in America, and so on average they tend to be younger, and we already know that younger people tend to vote less than older people, and so the oldest people in the United States also tend to be the whitest as well, and the youngest tend to um, identify as some non-white group. And so right off the bat, uh, just simply because of that, that age difference um, accounts for some of the difference between whites and non-whites in America in terms of uh, voting. And you know, and that gets to another question. Well, why is it that young people vote less? And there's a variety of explanations for that. Um, one is just simply that there's all kinds of um, political science research showing about how voting is simply habitual. The more you vote, the the more it becomes a habit. And if you're younger and you haven't established that habit yet, um, but also two because of the way that we set up uh, voter registration laws from state to state. Um, And when people move or if they're not stable in a particular house in the same neighborhood for year after year after year and they they move several times or they're going to school or they're coming back, um, for lots of young people, they just don't make re-registering at the new place where they move the top of list of their things to do when they move to a new place. Um, And if their state doesn't have Election Day voting, then oftentimes by the time they're interested – They've already missed the deadline, and you know. So there's a variety of things that go into that, but that's that's one of the answers. Um, two is because of socioeconomic status. Um, we know in the United States that um, blacks, Latinos, Asians, and other racial ethnic minority groups tend to have lower incomes and also lower levels of education, and that also makes a difference in terms of. Um, jobs and the ability to get to a polling place. Um, for example, in the United States, we, we vote on Tuesdays for a variety of historical reasons. Um, and most polling places close sometime around between 6 and 8 p.m. Um, and so for people f- who are, say, working double shifts or two different jobs, that's, not always the easiest thing to be able to get to a polling place and be in line for two hours to be able to to cast their vote. And it's just simply not um, feasible uh, for some people. For some people that makes a difference there. Um, and also the, the types of jobs where one is able to just take like a morning off, for instance, or an afternoon or a couple of hours here and there, or an extended lunch break, tend to be more salary type jobs, which tend to be held by people with, you know, higher incomes and higher education. Um, Whereas that hourly, you know, punching um, uh, a time card to come in and out often don't have like a two to three hour break at some point during there where they're able to to get there. Um, that said, that doesn't mean, of course, that, that no poor individuals are able to get to the polls, because many do. We just know that that accounts for some of that trend um, that we see there. And then um, another reason that we can that we can talk about is is that there is a correlation in the United States that racial ethnic minorities tend to be incarcerated at higher rates than whites in America um, for a variety of reasons, and that's a whole other subject. Um, but many states have laws on the books that um, just depending on the state that you're in that a person's not eligible to vote while either on parole or if one has a, a criminal record or something like that, and that also disproportionately affects racial, ethnic minorities there. Um, and there are other reasons as well, but those are some of the big ones that account for that—that that about twenty percent difference between whites and non-whites um, in terms of voter turnout in America.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I just couldn't. Yeah, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out, you know, why, like, how would one socio because. I realized, as you pointed out, that, um, socioeconomic status, there's differently a correlation between that and one, how one identifies racially or ethnically. But Mm -hmm. I, like, I couldn't draw the connection to that and the lower voter turnout. And that makes, I mean, that makes, that makes so much sense. It'd be interesting sometime to, to look at the reasons, uh, why the, why the older immigration population, um, Immigrant population isn't quite as high as the older white population. That'd be a an interesting thing to to look at sometime. But yeah, sure. that, that all that all makes sense. Younger voters, because uh, yeah, as you said, they tend to make more more babies. And as a side note, uh, <laughs> as a side note, when you look at the costs that immigrants have to the system compared to whites, it's all pretty equal until you get to education. And the reason once again is because they have more kids that are in school, so it costs you know, cost the government a little bit more money. Um, and then, and then, yeah, the mobility. Yeah, I, I could see that, especially if, you know, because uh, I, I, I found, you know, with immigrants, they tend not to stay in one place very long. Uh, they, you know, for, you know, they're, they have a lot more flexibility in their job because it's not something that they necessarily uh, had to go go to years and years of school to, to train for. but even then some people like a professor they seem to float around a little bit until they' until they're, mm-hmm. until they're settled as well and then that correlates with college students too I actually I can remember so the first year I could have voted was when um, Clinton ran against uh, Trump the fir- or not Trump <laughs> Bush the <laughs> first. there you go and I that was the year um, I entered the MTC and hit the uh, hit the mission field and mm. for some reason in my mind i thought i didn't need to vote or shouldn't vote and so yeah i, I mean as a missionary then i could see that happening and definitely college students cuz they they often are not very connected to whatever city they're going to college in you know so mm-hmm. yeah that all that all makes a lot of sense to me yeah
2: mm-hmm. i remember um <laughs> it was so funny one of my first experiences i'm sure This is a rarity amongst people who go into the MTC. I was one of the few who went to my county clerk's office to absentee vote in the primary because I was going to be in the MTC at the time of the primary, and then I requested and arranged for my general election ballot to be mailed to me in the mission field so I could complete it and send it back in.
1: (laughs) That's, like, I got that's that's imp- imp- <laughs> impressive, man. <laughs> Way better than me. <laughs> look,
2: look, look what happened to me now. Now yeah. I teach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, that- no. I have studied this for a very long time, and I've come to the conclusion that people who refuse to listen to the Rational Face podcasts are unfortunately doomed to be labeled as idiots. Now, this is something we can all change, but uh, it's all up to you.
2: Um, but yeah, but it's it's stuff like that, right? Like who besides nerds like me is going to go through the effort to do that? And when you're younger and in your college years, you're you're much more mobile and you're just bouncing around a lot of places. And it's it's uh you know that's that makes it more difficult just logistically to get registered in a polling place and just get it all taken care of. All right, so with that then, so we've kind of talked about um rates of showing up to vote now let's talk about for the people who who do vote who do they vote for um, with this let's um, let's talk about partisan um, patterns because that's the most transferable from state to state and the most the easiest thing to talk about with this that paints the best picture um, okay so first what I'm going to be talking about is exit polling data um, and what this is is um, In order to be able to get a picture of who shows up to vote on Election Day, there are a variety of organizations who work together, and they've been doing this for a number of decades now, um, to get people to hand out surveys to people who took... Um, who, who went to the polls to vote on election day um, and asked them to fill out a number of questions about who they voted for, uh, about their demographic characteristics, as well as issues that are important to them and things like that. Um, so the easiest way to think about it is that we can, we can look at the election results and see – what happened and what the results were, but the exit polls help us understand the why behind it. We can understand better what types of groups were voting for, which candidates, which parties, um, what issues were important to them to help us make some sense of it. Um, Are exit polls perfect? No, but no poll is perfect either. These are are samples of a wider population, and there's always some uncertainty and margins of error associated with it. That said, the people who've been doing this for a long time have got a really good methodology in place um, because a lot of people do early voting, for instance. Like we could say, well, entire states do early voting, and there aren't any polls or things like that that would leave them out. That's true. So they know that, and they do telephone interviews, In those states to supplement to account for, say, absentee early votes and and things like that, Um, because of cost, they're not able to get to all 50 states. And they do more exit polling during presidential election years than midterm election years. Uh, So this um election for instance these organizations were able to poll in about 20 of the 50 states and we could look at that and say well this is meaningless then except for they do a good job of making sure that the states that they pick are relatively representative of the of the states at large so that the picture they get is going to be not a perfect but a pretty good snapshot of everyone who has shown up to vote on election day and this year they had close to 19,000 different respondents which is which is you know, not, not, not too shabby. That's, that's, that's a lot of people that they talk to. So keep that in mind. I would say that these estimates aren't perfect, but they're better than ballpark estimates. They get us, they get us in the neighborhood pretty good. I would say with a, with a good degree of confidence. How's that sound?
1: That's good. Yeah. Cause you know, uh, I'm not a political junkie like you, <laughs> but, but I do, I do try to follow st- or my brother Pablo, the guy, so, uh, but I've, uh, you know, recently I've had the sense that, you know, some people wished that, um, these polls, these exit polls weren't made public at the time because, uh, you know, the East coast uh, where you, you know, your Eastern standard time, obviously things closed down three hours before us in Oregon. And so if you, if the poll, you know, if the exit polls are showing that, uh, that, Trump is just killing Hillary Clinton. Well, then us on the West Coast are like, oh, so it's 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 done. Why even vote now? But yeah. what you've what you brought, I've never even heard of or even thought about the importance and understanding why people voted the way they did. That's yeah, that, that's that's good. It's kind of redeemed the exit poll for me. So thanks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's good, and that's and it's helpful, right? Because we have uh, right now in America, we have a secret ballot, and so we know. It's public information if you are registered to vote. It's public information if you voted or not, but who you voted for um, is, is not recorded. And so we're not able to look at it and say, well, how do we know that certain groups are more likely to vote for uh, a certain candidate or whatever? It's, a lot of it comes because of these exit polls, um, supplemented, of course, with other surveys that are done throughout the country. Um, by other organizations and stuff, but this is a this is one key way in which we're able to to understand the behavior of people and and make comparisons from year to year with these. Um, all right, so what they did with these is combining everyone who voted in a house election in these states. We'll we'll look at that because there was a there was a house election in every state, and so this is the most comparable from state to state, because uh, everyone's voting for a member of Congress um, this election. Um, amongst these, uh, it's, it's saying, here are the different groups, and then here's the party that they voted for for their member of Congress. Um, amongst those that they surveyed, about 72% of everyone who showed up to, to vote uh, self-identifies as, as white. About eleven percent as black, about eleven percent as Latino, about three percent Asian, and three percent said something else.
1: Hmm. So that's over, so that's overall. So if you had hundred hundred people that exited, three mm. were Asian, eleven were uh, lat- Latino American, eleven were Black American, and what was the? I, I didn't. Do, it was 70, 72. 72 were 72. identified with some form of of White American. Right.
2: Okay. Yes. Gotcha. And, um, now, you may notice that that doesn't perfectly match the racial distribution in the United States amongst everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Latinos are a higher percentage of that. Asians are a higher percentage of that. Um, whites are a little bit smaller percentage of that. But thus, we see, again, with with these different factors, how the the different um, factors that affect voting turnouts disproportionately under sample or under under represent minority perspectives in terms of the vote and tend to overestimate estimate white perspectives in the votes here and that's especially the case for midterm elections um during presidential election years when we have about 60 percent of everyone show up that tends to be a more representative sample of the people who are registered but remember when we're talking about the groups that tend to vote more than others um are older tend to be richer, more educated, uh white. They're the ones who also tend to show up to vote at higher rates in midterm elections as well. So that's something else to think about with this. During midterm elections, those groups are especially more represented in the in the sample.
1: Okay, so so back up. I just need some clarification on something. So, sure. um so let's see if I if I got what you're saying. So when you look at the sample from the exit poll, obviously there's a higher percentage of latinos than is represented in the exit poll is that, is that what you're saying or who
2: so- no who's, who up to vote at all that's what i'm saying oh. it's like latinos make up what like 16 17% of uh, the united states i think right around there or who would self identify but then 11% of the exit poll people self identified as latino so we have a we have a difference there fewer latinos are voting than there are represented or that uh, there are in the United States as a proportion.
1: Okay. Okay. I misunderstood that. I, I thought with that difference, you're saying that the exit polls don't quite tell, I, for lack of a better term, tell the truth of what, who's actually oh, voting, no, no, no. but yeah. you're saying it's just, saying, okay.
2: I yeah. am saying if we can, if assuming that the exit poll data is more or less accurate um, and again, there's reasons why, you know, I, I would say this is a decent estimate. It's not perfect, but, but pretty good. Then Um, whites tend to turn out to vote at higher rates than racial minorities is is the bottom line with that. And that's even more the case in midterm elections than in presidential election years.
1: Okay. That makes sense to me now. All right. Okay.
2: All right. So with this here, just going down about which um, party, the member of Congress, they said they voted for. So amongst those who self identify as white, this election, 54% said that they voted for their Republican candidate for Congress. 44% said they voted for a Democrat. Looking at Blacks, 90% said they voted for a Democrat and 9% for Republican. Latinos, 69% said the Democratic candidate and 29% Republican candidate. Asians, 77% for a Democrat, 23% Republican. And those who self-identify as something else, 54% Democrat, 42% Republican. So each of those groups there, whites are the only ones who a majority of whom voted for a Republican for Congress. And every other racial ethnic group voted for a Democrat by a decent margin um, in there.
1: That's, so right off
2: the bat, that's what happened. This that's election.
1: interesting because f- for me, um, Asian voting – is a mystery. <laughs> so I like when you gave the data there I was like, oh, are they going to vote? I expected them for whatever reason to lean more uh, more republican than than what the poll show. So that's that's interesting.
2: Um, comparing this to recent years. So this has been been something interesting. So for example, African Americans have been voting since the 1960s with the Civil Rights Act, they've been they've been voting consistently democratic to the tune of 60-70 80% margins, like 90 to 10 or 85 to 15 Democrat to Republican. So they're fairly consistent Democratic voters. Uh, Latinos, however, have gone a little bit more back and forth. Um, For example, back in the 1990s, uh, Latinos, Democrats usually won the Latino vote by somewhere between 20 and 40 percent. So Latinos would vote Uh, like 60 to 70 percent Democrats or whatever. But then in the early 2000s, that started to narrow and the partisan gap with Latinos almost, it didn't quite disappear, but it got down to about 10 percent in the 2004 election between George W. Bush and John Kerry. Um, That said, around 2005, 2006, if we remember, that's when we had a lot of um, big things going on in terms of immigration. We had That was one of the peak years of the undocumented um, population in the United States in terms of of, um, receiving immigrants. But we also had a reasonably strong economy going into 2005 and 2006, which is attracting a lot of jobs. And we had a lot of immigrant marches. We had a lot of stuff going on. And then in the 2006 midterm election, that for Latinos went way back up to almost a 50% um, margin for Democrats that year. So that was a big difference from 2004 to 2006. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge jump
1: there. That's interesting.
2: And then ever since then, it's been somewhere between 30 and 40% advantage for Democrats amongst Latinos. Um, according to that, again, these, these exit polls, Latinos voted at about a 40% margin for, for Democrats this time around um last election in 2016 it was about 35% 2014 is about 25% but before that it was again 35% so somewhere around there that's that's been the pattern for the last since 2006 basically that's that's when we saw and and it was interesting um when George W Bush was elected um he at first before 911 happened uh, there was a lot of talk of him trying really hard To 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 get the Republican Party to be more appealing to the Latino vote in the United States, he's from Texas, right? His brother's from Florida or live in Florida. The governor of Florida, his his um, brother Jeb's married to a Latina woman. Um, He you know speaks better Spanish than most Americans, but less well than you know, <laughs> but whatever, like he, 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 he was giving it a shot. He's saying, Hey, look at this. We're the party of traditional values and we're the party of, of strong religion, all things that make us a natural constituency for the, the, uh, Republican party. And that year, like, like, like it was making a little bit of inroads there, but then nine eleven happened and we had the war on terror happen. And then the immigration thing happened. And ever since then, um, Latinos have been pretty reliable in the in the Democratic Party there, but not monolithically and not near to the same extent as African Americans. Um that's, as far as yeah, that's, oh, go that's ahead.
1: just interesting because you know, I I would have expected just my gut would have told me that there would been a larger margin in favor of Democrats among uh Latino voters, but they also I guess they don't really have the history uh, you know, the civil rights that black Americans um have had, so yeah, it's that's really weird. <laughs> I just, and especially with the midterm, I would have expected them to like been like a hundred percent Democrat, you know, but just I guess it,
2: it yeah, no, it's about like, two thirds to one third is, is about what it was, and yeah. that's been about the average for the last. A couple of election cycles, and you know better than I do, of course, right? That when we say Latino, just as with any group, this isn't a monolithic group we're talking about. There's a variety of nationalities represented. There's a variety of immigrant generations represented. Um, and so, for example, we have like Cuban Americans in Florida who make up a good chunk of the Florida vote, um, coming from Cuba and the the authoritarian communist regime that was there for a number of decades and has kind of still there in some forms um, they have a very 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 strong pro freedom political kind of identity like we don't want the types of leftist governmental policies that our parents or our grandparents escaped from the Cuban regime when that all came in and so they're very very strongly and reliably Republican voters even you know Latino there um, but at the same time, we also have most Mexican Americans uh, tend to vote much more strongly uh, Democratic there, and you know. Then there's also Puerto Ricans, and there's people um, from other parts of Central America, of course. And and so yeah, it's 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 an interesting um, group to try to think about what would influence likelihood of voting for different different things here. Um, we also know that racial ethnic minorities tend to be more religious than than whites in America. And religion and conservative politics have gone more hand in hand or in terms of correlation for the last um, little bit too. So Latino Catholics who believe strongly in traditional marriage and Um, pro-life agenda. The Republican Party is more a natural home there. But then there's been all the crush pressures with the last 10 years with all the immigration activism and all those kinds of things. Um, And that seems to be winning for most Latinos, or at least two-thirds or so um, lately.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Cubans are always, you know, even among, well, let me back up. So if you live in the west or the southwest if you're brown and speak spanish everyone assumes you're mexican right they might some might understand okay guatemalans and el salvadorians are kind of in the mix too if you're in florida everyone's going to assume you're cuban and if you're in new york everyone's going to assume you're puerto rican right (laughs) so it's kind of it's kind of how people think and um cubans for lack of a better word are just kind of weird how they fit into uh into this whole into this whole thing um and i i've Spoken about this briefly another time, in that when the U.S. Census in the '80s was trying, uh, you know, trying to better understand the population of Spanish-speaking people from Latin America, that's when they came up uh, with the ethnic group Latino. And mm. one of the the group that fought the hardest against that were actually Cubans, Cuban Americans, because mm. they identified as white.
2: Ah uh, yes,
1: and so there had to be there had to be a large campaign uni- with Univision, and and Chichi Ramirez got involved with this, and some other um, you know uh, uh, famous uh, Latin Americans in the U.S. to encourage everyone to check that box, and also if you look at Ted Cruz, right, mm-hmm. he's uh, of Cuban American descent, but. I don't think any Latin American would claim him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at all, you know, because for uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, and he, he came here, uh, his father showed up here, you know, to, to study mm-hmm. at, at university, eventually became United States. So the way his father and the way most Cubans arrive in the United States is completely different than... Uh, the way Mexicans, Guatemalans, El Salvadorians show up, and their hi- their history of immigration in the in, into the United States is completely different. It was you know as you know the uh, the wet foot, dry sand, or I can't remember how, what what they call it. So they were always you know they were always welcome because they were leaving this terrible Castro regime which may or may not which actually did have some connections to the USSR but if you look at the rest of Latin, you know Latin America on you know um as part of the main as part of the you know the northern continent and, and central and south is that um they had equally bad governments you could say but there wasn't the communism fear and so they weren't readily you know, welcomed as as Cuban Americans were, and so within the Latin Latino American um, community, I mean that would be a big community. There's often a lot of tension between uh, Cubans and uh, uh, immigrants from Mexico and Central America, and it's something I didn't really appreciate until my mission, because we did have one branch president. Uh, in, a, in a area of, of Dallas called uh, Oak Cliff, where he was the branch president, and everyone else was, you know, were uh, of Mexican American descent, Guatemala and El Salvador. Those are the main ones. You get some from Honduras very so often, and so there was a definite there's a definite kind of they didn't like him <laughs> so much because mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of, of the Cuban thing. And of course, as a nineteen to twenty one year old boy, I didn't I didn't under, I didn't understand it, you know. All I know is that um, he spoke really fast and spoke differently than, than the Mexicans <laughs> did. But, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll be quiet now. Carry on.
2: No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, uh, and then another thing that I thought was interesting with the exit polling data is the intersection of gender and race in terms of voting patterns. Um. So we just uh, talked about how whites were the only one to vote. Majority Republican, um, 54% to 44%. Um, if we break that down by gender, um, the people who voted in this year's election who identified as white and men, um, were much stronger, 50, 60% Republican to 39% Democrat. Among white women, it was almost 50 50, 49% to 49%. So that was interesting.
1: Yeah, that is there's, interesting.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a there's a difference there. Looking at the difference between black men and black women is not very big. Eighty eight percent, ninety two percent voting for Democrats, and that's that's within the margin of error even. Um, but amongst Latino men and Latino women, Latino men sixty three percent voted for Democrats, but seventy three percent of Latino women voted for Democrats they talk about a gender gap right like yeah. there's 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 talk of a gender gap in the united states um in terms of partisan voting preferences some elections that's been stronger than others um but this is a little bit bigger than historical like a 10% difference between latino men and women there that's 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 notable that's that's interesting there still a majority voting for democrats uh, for both groups, but Latino men are a little bit more likely to be voting Republican than yeah. Latino women.
1: I, I wonder. I'm just going to speculate because <laughs> I, I, nah, I don't think there's <laughs> any way to prove or disprove what I'm, what my brain's uh, thinking. But um, uh, oh, here's a story. Here's a kind of a anecdotal story to kind of give you an idea why I think this way. Okay, <laughs> so um, when I was five and Pablo was four, our birth mother. She's a Guatemalan immigrant, uh, kidnapped us essentially and took us to Canada with her second husband who is a, a Canadian fisherman, right? Mm-hmm. And I was talking with one of my tias um, last year sometime I, and I essentially asked her, what was Heidi's exit strategy? <laughs> like what did she think was going to happen with this? And she said, you know, uh, she expected that your dad would just forget about you because often that's what happens with Guatemalan men, you know? They don't. They just forget about their families and they do their own thing. So I, it makes me wonder if um, uh, women uh, of uh, you know Latino women in the U.S. have a greater sense of protecting the family as opposed mm-hmm. to Latino men, and so they will vote as they see best for the entire community, maybe than Latino men. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of a first thought that came to my mind. And once again, I don't know how you could test that, but.
2: Yeah. And we'd have to, I mean, that's, that's entirely possible. Um, What, what I would do, I just don't have the the data available to do it, but if we could break it out to see like, okay, well, looking at the difference between men and women is the difference there any bigger or greater. Um, Well, just looking at, um, uh, for example, white men and women, if we compare those ones there, the difference between those two is about 10%, like 60% to 50%. And amongst Latino men and women, 63, 73 for Democrats. So the difference there between the two of them might just be a gender difference, because it was the same difference for for whites as well.
1: Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. But that's, again, this is just um, speculation off the top of my head. I need to be able to Dig down a little bit deeper, but just, just, just by looking, um, you know, off the cuff speculation, that could be part of it as well. But then that gets to the question again, of course, like how much of that is transferable to to women of all racial ethnic groups, and you know, and some of it maybe. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, take
1: take so, us down another road. Okay.
2: So here's here's another one: um, education and race. Um, historically, education has been moderately correlated with partisan voting preferences, um, but it's been getting stronger in the last one or two election cycles, um, to where now the difference between college graduates and non-college graduates, the, the gap there is, is wider than it has been. Um, in the past, let me.
1: Yeah, I'm interested which way it's going because I can see arguments for both sides. But yeah. Uh
2: huh. So with the election this week, for white college graduates, majority voted for Democrats. Not by a huge majority, is 53% to 45%. But nonetheless, amongst whites with a college degree, that's that group most of them voted for for Democrats for Congress. But among whites with no college degree, that was a, a bigger difference. Sixty one percent of them voted for Republicans. So that seems to be one of the, the things that's 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 sorting out among whites. And then when we look at non whites, um the difference between college graduates and non-college graduates is 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 negligible. Seventy seven, seventy six percent of college uh educated versus um no college degree voted for Democrats there so education is 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 moving things among whites but not so much amongst non-whites
1: wow yeah that's um I, and I guess I could like I said I could see why that is but if you would have said it the other way I could have said oh, okay I see why that is why uh, uh, <laughs> I, I see that is. That is as well. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else to say, uh, say, say other, (laughs) other than that, but it's, uh, I guess there would, I, I guess there's kind of the stereotype that, um, the more uneducated you are, the more religious you might be. And so maybe there's a correlation there. I, I don't know if there really is or not, but if, if those seem to go hand in hand, then I guess that makes sense why they would tend to be, uh, more Republican if they're less educated, and uh, if they're more educated, uh, uh, lean uh, Democrat. But yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. Yeah.
2: And and that's and again, this is where it gets tricky to to tease out like. So for college graduates, they're also more likely to have higher incomes, for instance. They're also more likely to be older, for instance, because it just takes a couple of years to get through college and, and things like that, right? And so how much of each of those factors is, is there? But nonetheless, one of the interesting findings um, just amongst all groups in the United States has been that um, for white college-educated women and um, college-educated non-white women as well. Like, they're moving, at least in the last two election cycles, have been have been voting st- much stronger for Democrats than they have in the past. So education and race and gender are all doing similar things to what they've done before, but they're more pronounced in the last two election cycles, especially this one, than they have been in the past. So that's what I think is interesting. We see we see a continuation of trends, but an exacerbation of many of those trends as well.
1: Wow. So, you know, there's, um, you know, this, that it's often said and, and, and true that uh, poor whites have more in common with uh, poor black Americans than poor whites do with, you know, rich, uh, affluent uh, whites. But here you can almost, uh, with voting, it's interesting that Educated white women vote the same as uh, a black woman who has no college degree. That that, uh, it's just an it's an interesting tie. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And that'll be. I'm really interested to see how this continues to play out, especially like in the in the in the next election cycle. Because whether we like it or not, uh, the midterms over, which means the 2020 presidential campaign started. This week officially <laughs> uh, It's November um, Next year, January and February We're probably going to see Candidates start making it out to Iowa New Hampshire And start with their stump speeches And by next summer we'll be in the heat of it And So the next couple months Is when the candidates either Put up or shut up And they, they decide if they're going to do it or not So this will be interesting to see um, For Democrats especially We're at a point where um, if you look at the comp- racial composition of the different political parties, um, almost half of all Democrats in America now self-identify as non-white of some kind. Not not quite fifty percent, but somewhere between forty and fifty percent. So that makes a difference for um, for what kind of candidate would be appealing to the Democratic base. Uh, for instance, is is it going to be the case that um, you know, will another person of color get the nomination um, again? Um, and then as well for the Republicans, if we look at the the composition there, it's about 10% of Republicans who identify as non-white. And so that has implications as well, of course, for um, what kind of candidate that, well, this President Trump's running for re-election. So unless there's um, some kind of successful primary challenge and Usually those don't work, but usually people like Donald Trump don't get elected president either. So <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank heavens. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's like all of these things that we thought, like, oh, that would never happen. Like, the world has changed a little bit. So you know, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll see something happen here. Um, but it will be interesting to see how this continues to play out over the next couple of years as we we come around to the next presidential election cycle.
1: Yeah. That. Yeah. That's interesting. I, um, today I I listened to an interview with, um, Liliana. Uh, I was actually going to send you a link to this, uh, Liliana Mason. Uh, mm-hmm. she teaches at university of Maryland and mm-hmm. she has a book called uncivil agreement, how politics became our identity. And one thing she pointed out that I, that I never realized and what you're telling us kind of, uh, confirms this or affirms this is that when you look at, um, Republicans, they have a lot more in common with each other than Democrats, meaning, uh, as you pointed out, uh, you know, they tend to be uh, religious and specifically Protestant, right? Uh, More than Catholic. So, if so, she points out that, like, if you sat down, if you're a Republican and you sat down to speak with another Republican, You would expect, and probably are correct, in thinking that they are most—you know—they have they're somewhat religious, at least, and most, and more specifically, they're probably some form of, of Protestant. Where if, uh, you sat if a Democrat sat down with a Democrat, uh, who knows what's on the other side? You know, (laughs) really, Mm, as far as as far as like that. And she's and she points out that when you have a more cohesive identity uh, like Mm -hmm. that, um, that it's. A little bit easier to scare those people in that, mm-hmm. in that as uh, how she put it, she, something along the lines of that uh, if you're a group that has historically had power, and you start to see that you lose power, that you'll often react to that in some way of, of fear. Uh, which is which I thought was 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 interesting and seemed to ring mm-hmm. true to me because I just I guess if you're a Democrat, right? The Democrat, I mean, because there is such a a soup, a salad, you know, a different, <laughs> different identities, beliefs, education levels. Um, that I, I, how how do you scare the Democrats into voting? <laughs> you know, I I don't know. <laughs> you know, so
2: it will be. Yeah, this. I mean, that's that's that would be an interesting thing to talk about. Um, some other time there, in terms of like social psychology and how that affects voting and political identities, and there's lots of interesting good stuff there. Um, but maybe what we can do is. I could put – could. i I'll, I'll send you some, some links to related kinds of stuff that you could put up in the show notes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where, I would love, the podcast I would, posts.
1: I would love that. I'm going to tr- actually try to edit it tonight, tonight being Thursday, and have it ready for okay. tomorrow because I think this will be an e- easy one to edit.
2: Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, did you have any other questions for me?
1: Yes, I have one. Okay. When When we actually have all the data in about a month or two, will you come back and tell us what that – how that shook out?
2: If you'd like me to. I'd be happy to.
1: Excellent. I want you to <laughs> just make sure to remind me. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Okay. All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks Ben for coming on, especially on such a uh, short notice. Uh, I really, I really appreciate it. And yeah, I, like I said, I always like reading what you write and kind of seeing what you think and stuff. And, uh, cause you tend to be pretty even handed with things, which, which I appreciate. So again, thanks for, Thank thanks for hanging uh, out.
2: Far too kind, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: no, no problem, no problem. All right. Well, uh, we, you know, Doctor Lashawn and I used to have a, a send out message, uh, like the way we ended things. But um, I accidentally deleted a bunch of stuff on my computer, and <laughs> so I don't have it. So <laughs> I have nothing. I don't I have no sign out. So other than uh, again, thanks, and um, yeah, and I will. Uh, as always, you can always leave uh, comments. Uh, either on the blog or on the facebook page but we also have a, an email address and you can fill that out if you have any questions for dr Noel. Uh i'd be happy to forward those along to him and maybe when you come back you could uh answer some of those for people but awesome that'd yeah. be cool all right hey thanks a lot brother yep no problem bye-bye
0: Bye. that america has defaulted on this promissory note Insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Lawlessness, looting, <laughs> wild animals, criminals, <laughs> uh, and thugs. Thugs, isn't it the right word? Young- and flipped over a UK fans do stupid things um he got a little out of control seeing
1: a scene like this just shows how passionate
0: the UK fans are it's so tough to lose and unfortunately the ugly side that we sometimes see in sport I give no hosannas to a racist my position is, is I'm not responsible for their parents' decision to bring it you have a job yes you pay taxes yes you go to nursing school and the chains of discrimination 100 years later yes they came and placed me under arrest because I refused to stand up on the autos of the bus driver. See, I want, what I want is I want every single dreamer deported. The law is the law and you are under arrest. So I got right off the bus without any resistance and was placed in the police car. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. A dispute. A bloody crawl. There was some type of altercation. They're not loves. Breaking news, violent protest. What you're looking at is the unraveling of the civil society.
2: Criminals and thugs.
0: And they're raising hell and they're destroying property. These idiotic thugs rioting and looting, are hurting their own people. Wild animals burning buildings down. Especially if they know the media's all there, right? Got the cameras on everyone. It's, it's become its own reality show. Who acts like that towards a police hall? It's un tiempo que
2: nos da mucho brillo del futuro. Y yo estoy completamente seguro that muchos países the America those indigenouss viviremos eternamente y ojalá que así sea. Y depende de la sociedad también mucha gente se siente orgulloso de la cultura de America
0: It's inexplicable why the police are doing nothing. Let's mobilize the National guard if I'm a riot and I see the police doing nothing I might feel like I have a license he would Another group of cops over there just standing there No one is really doing anything. Where is the leadership? leadership? The black leadership. The absence of leadership.
1: And it goes back to leadership, but that leadership has to come from the community. They're just uh, young college students who think they're playing some kind of a game with police officers.
0: Party gone awry.
1: Some fans got a bit too rowdy after the win.
0: Instead of having a very nice speech and departing, that we need to really get to work. DACA recipients
1: have been blessed to be in this country they can take the skill sets they have go to their home countries and come legally
0: you say that you work right and that you pay taxes but you don't have a social security yes She can go back so i asked him the question why do you always continue to push us around i stand strong against DACA you get your social
1: security card granted by the government it has my name it says with DHS
0: authorization. We cannot have a strong America as long as we don't care what the meaning of America is. To all of them. Support the other seven hundred thousand. But one hundred years later, the Negro still is not free. And I am willing to do what I possibly can in my way to promote the freedom. Inequality and a world of peace that we are so, so in need of. It's illegal, okay? The Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty. She's in violation of the Drive Constitution. One. And I was taken to jail after being questioned. Make justice a reality for all of God's children. That I didn't think I should have to stand up after I had and the a seat. The fierce urgency of now.
2: I think she should be deported. She needs to go back to her own country.
0: I have discrimination. That dream. I must confess that uh, that dream that I had that day has at many points turned into a nightmare.
1: and outro music provided royalty-free through bendsound.com. Some of the audio clips come from bravefilms.org, Jimmy Kimmel, Live, and This American Life.
0: If you enjoy the content of this podcast or any of the other Rational Faith podcasts, head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a nice review. That way more smart and beautiful people like you can find us.
2: Black women bailed out white people
0: again. This was a miracle. Well, it's a miracle to Becky. For black women, it's called a Tuesday.